Amen. So uh, we're in uh, the book of Philippians. I've tried to finish the same sermon three times, and I have not done it. And today, I'm not going to promise that. It's not going to, we'll just see if it happens. And, and, but we've been in chapter uh, 3, verses 1 through 11 uh, for some time. We've gotten a little bit further on, on each part. My sense is that I believe that our church needs this. And so, and if you're visiting us uh, here today, I, I, I believe that you need this as well because I believe that this is the heart of the gospel in so many respects. And so I'm glad that you're here and that you're a part of this uh, today. But Paul has been talking about how um, if anybody has a list of things that they've done well and that they feel like that this commends them to God and that they, they feel like somehow that this is what causes them to be acceptable in God's eyes. If anybody has a list of those things, Paul says, I have more. And so he lists out all of his good deeds, all of his upbringing, all of his stuff that in, in, in the world's eyes in some respects, it should look like um, this guy of all guys is acceptable uh, to God. But Paul basically says, if that's what makes you a Christian, then I was already a Christian before I came to Jesus. If, that, if, if doing good things and being a good person causes you to be a Christian, then I was already a Christian. And so he's been unpacking for them that this is not what causes us to be a Christian. And so he's been talking a lot about loss. Like he, I, he says, I look at everything in my past, all of the good things that I've done, and I count it as loss. I count it as rubbish. I count it as trash. It's all trash in light of who Jesus is. And, he, and he's comparing that with gain. So he's talking about this spiritual bankruptcy that he has as an individual who believes that he's acceptable to God uh, in his own eyes, and he's just saying it's a bankrupt life. It's not a life that really uh, that, that is acceptable to God, and even though I thought that, that's not the way that it is. Now, many people who are in the church today would say, you know, I, a few years back, and perhaps we should get back into this, but uh, there was this thing where we talk about giving our testimony. Like if you went on a mission trip, you'd give your testimony or something like that. And many of us, if we grew up in a Christian home and we were a, a goody two-shoes and we read our Bible and stuff, we'd say, I don't really have much of a testimony because I, uh, I, I, I kind of always did the right thing. You're the exact person that the Apostle Paul is speaking to. And he's saying, you must look at all of the good things that you've done, all of the law-keeping that you've done, all of the Ten Commandments, you know, adherence that you've had in your life, and you must look at it and you must say, this is trash in light of gaining Christ. But too many of us do not look at our lives and the things that we've done as though those things are trash and as though those are loss. And so, therefore, what doesn't take place is a wholehearted desire for God, a desire to have relationship with, with Him, a knowledge of Christ. And so what we have is we have a lot of people who are walking around claiming Christianity and yet never really fulfilling what that actually looks like. And, and in some cases, not even knowing what that means. And so we've been talking a lot about loss and there's kind of been a little bit of a, a negative tone to these sermons, and it's because I hadn't gotten to this sermon yet, this portion of it. So we've been talking about spiritual bankruptcy, and now he's going to go into this spiritual wealth. 
He's going to go into where we get spiritual wealth. And so he has just said this. He said, for his sake, this is uh, verse 8, about midway, I believe. For his sake, I have suffered, uh, suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. In order that I may gain Christ. So what must happen in order for you and I to gain Christ? So whether you grew up in the church, whether you feel like you've been a righteous person, whether you know that you've been a uh, less than righteous person, what doesn't matter where you stand today. What must you do to gain Christ in order to have Christ, in order to have relationship with him? Because gaining Christ is not just a new perspective. It's not just clean living. It's not just morals. It's not just having peace and comfort. It's not just those things. It's something more than that. Those are byproducts of a life with Christ, of gaining Christ, but they are not Christ in and of themselves. So he says in verse 9, he says, and be found in him. Stop right there for a second. And be found in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. So what he doesn't necessarily want is just kind of this kind of ethereal relationship with God where he's like, I'm cool with God. I gotta, you know, I'm, 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 I'm down with the stuff that the Bible says. He doesn't just want good morals. He wants to gain Christ. And beyond that, he wants to be in Christ. He wants to be like in it. He wants to be a part of Christ. It's more than just saying, I identify with this religion. I identify with God. I'm a moral person. No, it's saying, I want to be found in Christ. And then he says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. He says, I don't want to have good deeds. I don't want to be able to look at myself in, in the mirror and say, you know what? God should like me. You know, I've, I, uh, I'm doing pretty well in and of myself. He doesn't want to be able to say that, doesn't, doesn't want to look at himself and be able to think that. He says, I want to be found in Christ, and I want to be found as not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. And so some of you have come in, and you've been beating yourselves up. And you've been saying, you know what, I don't deserve the forgiveness of God. Or there's some sin in your life that maybe nobody even knows about. Or, or, or maybe there's some issue or something that people do know about, and you can't forgive yourself. You can't let it go. In fact, I've heard people talk about it at times where they say, you know what, if I forgive myself, then I think I'll do it again. I think I'll enter into, into it. And so what I need to drive me to be a moral person, because their belief uh, is that they need to be driven towards being a moral person through shame, through guilt, through self-deprecation, through saying, I'll, I'll never be that person. I'll never do this. I'm, I'm such an unworthy person. I'm so unworthy. I'm so unworthy. I'm so... Well, Paul says this. He says, you've got to be found in him and acknowledge the same thing that you're saying, which is 
I don't have a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. I don't have a righteousness that comes from me having participated with, from me having ab abided in or adhered to any type of law, any type of Ten Commandments, anything like that. I don't have it. I don't have this in and of myself, he says, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now, what he just said is, is absolutely remarkable. It's, I think it's one of the greatest uh, portions of a sentence in the New Testament. He's... he's saying something that's the complete opposite of what our culture tells you you need today. It's the complete opposite. And the opposite is this, is that it, it is, is many times in our culture when people are, are, are feeling depressed and they're feeling down and they're, they're feeling like they don't matter, or they're feeling like they don't have what it takes. I don't measure up. People look down on me. Those kinds of things. Our world comes around you and says, you know what? You are the definition of your own set of rules. You complete you. You are an incredible person. You have everything that it takes. I drove by a building that people call a church, and outside it says, you are enough. You are enough. There should be no signs on the front of a church that says, you are enough. It should say, Christ is enough. Because, here's the problem, is you and I are not enough. I don't have a righteousness of my own. I don't have the ability to make myself good enough. I don't have what it takes. I cannot be enough. And ultimately what we do is we take the place of God and we say, you know what, I've created a standard. I've created the rules. I've created what should and should not be. And therefore, I have decided that I have fulfilled all of those rules. Because I am the definition of what righteousness is for me. Think about how individualistic this is. It's saying that I am God. You've just taken the place of God by saying, I've met my own standard of righteousness. What it takes to be somebody who gains Christ is somebody who gets the justification for their life, not from themselves, not from their own mind, not from their own ability to say, well, this is good and this is bad. It's to look to God as the final arbiter of what is true. It's to look to his word and to say, what is true and right and good is found here in Christ. It is found in his word. It is found in who he is and what he's done. It is not found in me. And so therefore, God, I must look to you for my justification. I cannot look to uh, choosing to just make some changes. I cannot look to being a moral person. It causes you to be more lost than you were before. Jesus says to the Pharisees, he says, you travel over land and sea to make a single convert, and you make him twice the son of hell as he was before. Now, why does he say that? 
Jesus says, you are going after these people. You're trying to make them more moral. You're trying to make them people who do good things. That's what the Pharisees did in Jesus' day. They were the goody two-shoes. They were the churchgoers. They were the people who said, ah, you shouldn't be doing that. Oh, don't, don't do that. Yeah, look at me. Look at how, how incredible I am. I don't watch rated R movies. I always do this stuff Christians do. They always, you know, do those things. That's the type of people that they were. And Jesus says, when you make somebody more moral than they were before without Christ, you've actually separated them further from relationship with Christ, further from gaining Christ. And this is why what we say here at the church is that we want to be people who are gospel-centered. It's not that we're against people doing what is right. It is that that righteousness must first come from God through Jesus Christ it is called justification. And what takes place in justification is the forgiveness of sins. It's the forensic forgiveness of sins. Uh, it is God declaring us righteous through Jesus Christ. Jesus stands in our place. He goes to the cross. He takes the punishment. He's the one who, who uh, takes our sin on him. And he dies a brutal death. And as a result, what do we get? We get justification. We get forgiveness as a result. And secondly, we get acceptance. We get acceptance. You cannot be accepted by God outside of Jesus Christ. There is no acceptance by God outside of Jesus Christ. You cannot have relationship with Him. You cannot walk with Him. All of your righteous acts are like a filthy rag. They, they, may be, they don't cease to be good things. They cease to be good things that are worthy of salvation. It's not that everybody out there that does, a, that does a nice thing isn't doing a nice thing. They are doing a nice thing. It is not worthy of God's salvation. You cannot be saved through doing good things. So first, it is forgiveness. And secondly, it is acceptance. It's relational acceptance. It's welcome into relationship with God. It's having relationship with him because we've been justified. And what he does is he gives us his righteousness. He gives it to us. It's called, big word, imputed righteousness. It is inputted into us. It's not something that I, I do and I, and I say, okay, I'm going to start doing these things and then I'm going to put it inside of me. No, Jesus puts it inside of you. Jesus gives you his righteousness and he takes your sin. It's called the great exchange. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ and not faith in self. You are not enough. You are not good enough. You cannot make it on your own. Think about the stark contrast that that is saying between us and our world. We have a different message, ladies and gentlemen. We have a different message than our world has. It is in stark contrast to what everybody wants to tell you. Believe rightly that you do not have a righteousness of your own, that you cannot believe in yourself. Approval of self is not going to get you where you need to be. And so once you have this justification from God, what must take place? Once you have this justification, what must take place as a result in your life? 
If you've really received justification, then what is the life that flows out of this? Well, he's going to tell us here. He says, uh, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him. That I may know him. Now, he's kind of said this a little bit previously in verse 8. In verse 8, he says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He's saying, the thing about it is that when I look at everything that I've done before, all of my good deeds, all of my righteous living, I never screwed up. I never had sex outside of marriage. I never uh, took drugs. I never did this. I never did that. He said, all of that is trash in comparison with the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. Now, do you want to know him? Do you want to know him? Do you know what it means to know him? Do you know Jesus? You might know about Jesus. You might know the story. You might, you might understand a few things here and there. But do you really know him? Do you really know him? See, justification precedes sanctification. Big words I know today. Justification is forgiveness. Sanctification is what happens to us. It is transformation as a result of the love, forgiveness, and acceptance of God through Jesus Christ. It's what happens in our life. And so Paul says, I've received the justification of God in Christ Jesus, and it is so, it is for the purpose of me knowing him. It's for the purpose of me having relationship with him. It is for that reason. And so he's expanding on verse 8 here. And he's saying, now let me, let me unpack for you what it looks like for you to know Christ. And he's going to unpack for us what sanctification is. Now what does sanctification mean? It means that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. He just said three things there that are kind of all tied together. He says, to know Christ means to experience his resurrection and share in his sufferings, according to one commentator. It means to first experience resurrection in your life. See, the resurrection is important not just because someone was raised from the dead. Resurrection is important because it has transformational spiritual power in your life and in my life to cause us to be different people. It's not as though Christ went to the cross and then he's like, good luck. Let's see if you can pull it off. Let's see if you can make it happen, sucker. Nope. He says, what's important is this, is that if you're going to know Christ, then you've got to know the power of his resurrection. Now, why do we need the power of his resurrection? Why do we need his resurrection in our life? Because Ephesians chapter 2 says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. It's because Romans... Chapter 6, verse 13, K 
connects the two, death and life with sin. He says this, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Do you see what he just said? Don't give your body over to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but I want you to present your bodies, your lives, your minds, your eyes to God as those who have been brought from death to life. What's that? That's resurrection. That's resurrection power. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. What that is saying is like the knowledge of God. To know God, to know Him, to have relationship with Christ Jesus means that you're deeply connected with the transformational power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That when Jesus was resurrected, if you have trusted in Him and indeed been justified by faith, meaning you're not hoping in yourself, you're not hoping in your works. You're not hoping in the fact that you're going to live by this shame so that you can be a better person. No, it's faith in Christ, and your hope is not in your ability, but it is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the ability that God has to transform your life. See, because if Jesus is raised from the dead... You can be raised from the dead, not just physically. By the way, Christians, we don't become Christians just so that we can go to heaven. It's not just that. We don't just, we're not just in this thing just waiting for, for this world to go to hell in a handbasket. That's not just what we're doing here. It's not just a physical resurrection. It's not just a personal resurrection, like, okay, I'm going to believe in this Jesus guy, I'm going to start going to church, I'm going to get better friends, I'm going to be more moral, and I'm going to make some changes. And you may very well do that on some level, but it's not just personal. And it's not just physical. But it is spiritual to the core, because the main problem with you and I is not just that we are just bad people. The truth is that we're dead. We're dead. We're lifeless and we're dead. And we need transformation. We need to be raised to life. In a few minutes, we're going to have some people that are going to be baptized. And baptism is a picture of being raised from death to life. Jesus commands us to do this in order for us to participate with him. Baptism doesn't wash away your sins. It shows that you are aligning yourself with Christ in his death so that you can also be resurrected. The way that we show that we are, in fact, believers in Jesus Christ is through participating in baptism. That's what this is about. That's what the, the power of his resurrection. That's, that's what it means. That's what it looks like. And so then he says this, it's not just that you're going to have a physical, a spiritual, and a personal resurrection. It's not just that you're going to have personal changes in your life. It's not just that. It's also that there is some suffering that comes along with that. 
He says, and may share in his, may share his sufferings. When you become a believer and you, and, and you ultimately no longer trust in yourself and you put your hope in God and you've gained Christ and so you've received justification and sanctification is beginning to work itself out in your life. You're beginning to work out with fear and trembling your own salvation. Your life is beginning to change. It's, it's beginning to, to take shape a little bit. But then you run into difficulty. You might be like Aaron and Mike Longmire, who had something happen that should not have happened. All day long, you could sit, and you could be disgusted, and you could be upset that, this, that these things have not taken place. You could be incensed that God would allow these things to happen in your life. And yet the believer, the person who's truly put faith in Christ, is somebody who is able to look at the whole of life and be able to say and, and be able to apply Jesus to all of these situations. See, Jesus had the most unjust treatment of anybody in our world. He was unjustly accused. He was unjustly murdered. He was completely treated unjustly. And yet, and yet, he responds with hope in his Father. He responds in that way. See, what Christians don't get oftentimes is that we get the justification piece often. And then we totally set aside the sanctification piece. We totally set aside the fact that our lives should look differently. We totally set it aside. We come to church. Life is kind of falling apart for a little while. Come to church, and then life gets better a little bit. We start to make some personal changes, get some wisdom. Oftentimes, people who are in difficult places are there because they've made bad choices. Not all the time, but oftentimes. And so they receive this justification and yet never take steps into sanctification. They don't take those steps. They begin to uh, just kind of maybe revel in the gospel a little bit, perhaps. They get involved in affinity groups at their local church. They make a point to be at church for a little while, and then they disappear. And it's because... They had taken in the idea of justification, and they never really took in the idea of sanctification. So here's the thing. You may like the gospel. You may like Jesus. But the truth is, is that many of us do not know him. We don't know him because if we did know him, there would be a transformational power in our life. That's changing us. When that takes place, it's one of the most amazing things that happens. I've seen it happen in our church so many times. I was meeting with a couple just the other night, and I was sitting there just going, you guys are changing. Like, God is doing something in your life. I mean, you guys 
are actually uh, seeing changes in your life, and God is doing an amazing work. You're not just stopping at like, okay, Jesus died for me, but you're going beyond that. You're going beyond like Jesus died for me, and you're saying, because he died for me, I want to know him. I'm going to treat everything as loss. I'm going to look to him as gain, and I am going to know him, and I'm going to walk with him. And yes, it's hard. It's difficult. It's difficult growth. It's two steps forward, three steps back, just continually. It's like, ah. But man, God is working in the lives of people at Outward Church, and it is absolutely amazing. Do you know him? So does that mean that you, that, that you are looking for his resurrection power in your life? You're looking for him to change you from the inside out, that you're willing to suffer for his name, that you're willing to experience the sufferings of Christ. Like, I want to share. I want to share in that suffering. We talked last week about how uh, too often we've become so comfortable as American Christians that dealing with any, ki- any type of suffering is not something that we're into. Dealing with anything that's uncomfortable. So that perhaps... When it comes to sharing Christ in the workplace, we recoil from that. Why? Because it's dangerous. Because you can lose your job. Because you'll be called out as a bigot. It will happen. That I may share in his sufferings. You have a difficult marriage. Your wife or your husband is such a punk. And you can't believe it. That you may share in his sufferings. That you may know Christ and that you may share in his sufferings. Were you a punk before Christ? Were you somebody who acted arrogantly before Christ? Yes, I was too. And I still do at times. And yet he loves me. That you may share in his sufferings. You have difficult circumstances. Like, I could be generous with the things that God has given me, but I just don't want to. Or I've made every excuse in the book why I should not do that. That you may share in his sufferings. Do you know Christ? Do you want to know him? Then sharing is a result of that. Sharing in his sufferings. Giving up so that others may have is a part of knowing Christ. Why? Because Christ gave up all so that you could have Christ. So that you could have him. That you may share in his sufferings. And what? Become like him in his death. To know Christ means that I've received justification. But to know Christ means that I'm walking with him. In his resurrection power, I'm walking with him in his sufferings. And my goal in life, we must exclaim together with Paul, is that I want to become like Jesus Christ in his death. I'm pouring out my life. I think that this might be 
the sermon that Outward Church needs today, and I, I'll take out the sermon. I'll just I'll say this is the scripture passage. Outward Church, do we want to become like him in his death? Or do you just want help for your marriage? He will give you that. But is that all you want? Do you want Christ? Outward Church, are, are you looking for an affinity group of people who have kids about in the same age group, who are about in the same stage of life, in the same line of work? Or do you want to know Christ? Do you want to follow Him? Do you want to have a knowledge that's actually changing who you are? I had to wrestle with this passage so much. I had to wrestle with it so much. Because that's one of the benefits of preaching is that <laughs> I'm going to have to tell people this here shortly, so I better make sure that this is true in my life. And I was even in my seminary class, and I asked for prayer from uh, the guys and, and gals in my seminary class and my professor, and I just said, I am battling with this passage. I'm battling with what it says. I'm battling with what it means. Do I want to know Christ? Do I want to gain Him? What are the things in my life that need to be considered as loss? What are the things in, in, in my circumstances that need to be let go of? And the truth is, when it comes to me, when it comes to who I am, is that like I think that this is profoundly difficult. I think it's profoundly difficult when I'm doing it on my own, when I'm trying to make it happen on my own. See, here's the great news of the story. The great news is that Jesus Christ went to the cross. And he's not staring at you just going, after all that I've done for you, can't you, can't you get it together? Can't you, can't you do this? He, no, he, he goes to the, the cross. And, he, and what, what the scriptures teach is that God knows all things for all time. I'm a solid believer in that God knows exactly what's going to take place. He knows exactly what's going to happen. And see... So he knows every mistake that Matt Porter was going to make, and not only was, but is going to. He knows all of the sins in my life. He knows everything about me. And when he went to the cross, it was not as if he was saying, I hope you get this. I hope you respond to it, because I'm really putting in a lot of work here for you, Matt. He went to the cross, and what he said to his accusers, what he said to the people that were crucifying him, is that he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They know not what they do. While he's bleeding out, he's forgiving. While he's bleeding out, he sees you in all of the things that you have done, all of the things that you think that you need to hang on to, and, and just say, no, I better not let it go. I, I've got to have this 
this guilt and the shame that's driving me. He knows all of that. And he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And so the only thing that I can say is, God, I don't know what I'm doing sometimes. It's just like my life is, is sometimes like I'm in these situations and I just got angry and I said that harsh word to my wife. I was short with my kids. I acted on this. I did that. And Jesus is so kind. He's so loving. It's that he's, he's looking at me and he's saying, and he's looking at you and he's saying, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. They don't know. And when you look at Jesus and when you look at how he forgives you on that level, then no matter where you've been, no matter how many times you keep screwing up, when you see that he has pronounced justification over your life. He looks at your life and, and, and in a judicial way, he forgives you. He pronounces forgiveness over you. And he says, you are my child. You no longer have to wonder about this. And so what, what does that mean for you and me? It means that we, like Paul, have to say, man, because he's justified me, now I want to know him. And so outward church, do you want to know him? Because he forgives. He forgives. Do you want to know him? Do you want to walk with him? Know the power of his resurrection? Do you want to see life change? I believe that there is resurrection still to happen in us, in me, in specific ways. There is an entire city out there that does not know Jesus. They do not know about this justification. If you want to know him and you walk in him, there are many, many, many people out there that are going to want to know him and to walk with him. We're guaranteed it. We're guaranteed it. Because God has called some to himself. So let's go. Let's get them. Let's show them the love of Jesus Christ that has been shown to us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I'm, I'm asking that this morning that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit to be able to take note of where we've been or perhaps we've been in this place where, where we've just kind of received justification and we've, we've never really looked into sanctification. Or perhaps we've been trying to sanctify ourselves without ever having been justified. And so, Lord, I pray that, you would, that you'd change us, that you'd make us new, that you'd cause us to be different people. Lord, I'm praying for those that don't have relationship with you this morning. Lord, that you would do an amazing work in their life. Lord, that they would come to you today, right here and right now. Lord, that they would hear that call and that they would walk with you. Lord, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.